0: That God has sent to us in Apostle Lafayette scales. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord God most high. Thank you, Lord. Just remain standing for a moment. Father, we're overwhelmed by your presence. You indeed are Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end. Father, we thank you for transforming us and saving us. Calling us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to your purpose and grace. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Father, let your voice be in the sanctuary tonight. Father, continue the transformational process. Uh, Father, so change us that we can never go back the way we were before. And then give us strategies by the Spirit that there will be a performance of the things that have been spoken. So that we can see our families, our city, and our nations change. We stand waiting on you. Oh, Lord, we wait on you and we expect from you in Jesus name and all of God's people said, amen. amen to God be the glory. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. But a great, great opportunity Lord is given unto us to share together. And we're just believing God that he's going to do great and mighty things. If you will, open your Bibles again to Deuteronomy chapter six and go directly to verse number four, Deuteronomy six, four. This is called the Shema and the word Shema means to hear. And the word here in Deuteronomy six, four is a word that's being spoken to Israel as God calls them back to hear as a community. In Deuteronomy six, four, God is not so much speaking to the individual. As he is speaking to a community, and a community is a people with common interests living in a particular area. Community is also an interacting population of various individuals. A community is a group of people of common characteristics uh, interested uh, in living together in a larger society. A community is actually people who are also connected by public policy. And there's one basic understanding of community that God speaks to the community. Let's hear God speak Deuteronomy six, four hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. It says these words, which I command, which I command you shall be in your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, uh, when you uh, lay down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on The doorpost of your house and on the gates. And it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses of good things. Which you did not feel. Cued out whales. Which you did not dig. Vineyards. Olive trees. Which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full. Then beware lest you forget the Lord. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And out of the house. And from the house a bondage, the word of the Lord. As we read this passage, we see God speaking to the community. And we see that God is speaking to the community, direction for the community. Two basic ideals we dealt with this morning. God speaks to the community. And I know in America where we have rugged individualism, manifest destiny, free enterprise, capitalism, the right of the individual, which is valued. It's important to know that God not only speaks to the individual, but he also speaks to the community and God's community today in the earth is called the kingdom of God. And the legal representation for the kingdom of God in the earth is called the church, which is his body. It's the fullness of him, says Ephesians chapter one, the latter part that filleth all in all. And so we are his community in the earth. We're made up of Jew and Gentile. For God has torn down the middle wall of partition and he's made one new man. Grafted in one new man in Christ. And he's celebrating to welcome everybody into the community. So the first basic idea we spoke of this morning out of Deuteronomy is that God says, Hear, O Israel, the community, the Lord our God is one And then he also speaks to what is community like? And in Deuteronomy, God then tells us that there are three systems that make up community. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 through 13. We won't read it. God gives us a value shaping system. And yes, and this morning we drew our diagram. Y'all remember your diagram? Okay, well, we showed this big mountain. And if I can just, I think it's still on here. I'll pull it down. Y'all remember this now, right? Remember I drew a mountain this morning on my diagram and I put a little wavy water line and that was to represent something that looks like an iceberg. I said on the top of the big mountain, I drew, y'all can see that again tonight, can't you? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, there is what's called behavior up there, Everybody, Remember you referring to your notes? That's called behavior. But below the waterline, there's some things that impact behavior. We said your behavior is impacted foundationally by your worldview. Remember that? I also said that worldview shapes your values, what you esteem, what you hold as, per, as, as, as important. Your worldview is comprehensive. It explains how you explain everything. Your worldview is comprehensive, and your faith is a part of your worldview. And out of our worldview comes our values, what we esteem as important. And those of us who have a Christian worldview, we start with one big miracle. God created the heavens and the earth. We believe that we are divinely created by the creative genius of God. Would you look at your neighbor and say, there are seeds of genius inside of you? And it shapes our values and our values within shape underneath the waterline worldview values. It shapes our belief system, because when we buy into our values and we believe it and we add action to it as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so our behavior comes out of our beliefs. Our beliefs comes out of our values and our values come out of our worldview Beliefs is what people see. It's above the water line. But listen, way below the waterline are a whole lot of other issues. And God gives us a religious system. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 to 13 says, so that it can be the value-shaping system to pass on. Notice Deuteronomy 6 to our sons and to our grandsons, to our daughters and to our granddaughters, these values to establish. In the earth, because why? He wants it to go well with all. I want it to go well with all. He then in Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20, 16, 18 through 20, Deuteronomy gives us a governmental system. And he says, when you go into the land, you're going to appoint officials and judges. He said they should be free from bribes, free from partiality. They should rule with just judgment. The Old Testament will go on that says, "He that will bear rule over man must be just ruling in the fear of the Lord. Every judge must fear God more than he fears man. And I know that there's some discretions, and judges are created to enforce law. But friends, it's important in Israel. God said they must be just and give out righteous judgment. Not giving the bribes, because Deuteronomy says, 16:18, and your officials that it will blind justice and it will pervert the way of rightness. Now, God then gives an economic system that we explored. And the economic system is found also in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to 10. And what we find 6, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 12, that God is a God of abundance. He said, man, I'm bringing you in the cities that you didn't even build. He said, I'm bringing you in the houses you didn't even feel." Water was critical in the arid area of the Middle East, the desert areas. He says, you're going to drink out of wells you didn't dig. He says, you're going to have fruitfulness from vineyards, and you're going to have the anointing from the olive trees that you didn't even plant. And he said, and when I bring you into the land, he said, beware that you don't forget the Lord. He said, don't think that your power and your might and your strength Got you all these things. Later on in Deuteronomy chapter eight, he will tell us it's God that gave you the power to get wealth, to establish his covenant within you. We then went to Deuteronomy 17 that you could read in your leisure. And we've read there that God says, listen, I'm providing an economic system. And his economic system starts off with say every seven years, there'll be a re- year of release. God finds himself over and against debt, and he finds himself uh, uh, for forgiveness of debt. We also find out that God had, uh, if you will, components in his economic uh, uh, process for ministering and staying open handed and open hearted to the poor, he said, and the needy. And he said, and also because the poor will not cease out of the land. He says, you shall not shut your hand to the poor. He goes on to say, listen, for when you shut your hand to the poor, you have forgotten that you once were a slave. And you had little economic opportunity and we should remember the Lord. And God says that when these three systems are in place, that there's a religious system to pass on the values to the next generation. That there is a political system, maintain order and see to the fair distribution of God's goods and services. And there's an economic system that distributes God's abundance is over it against debt. But as for the abundance of the old people, all people, it shall be well. My question I raise tonight is if God sets up this perfect community, what happened? Because I don't see this today. Across the board in the kingdom of God, neither do I see it in our cities. And remember, Israel was a community that was formed where God gave his law first. Hero, Israel. And then he formed his people around it. Other communities were formed around common geography, common language, common interest. Israel was the first nation that was formed where God gave his law. And then he said, let me build community around it. What happened? What would happen is that the people begin to stray from the things of God. And as they begin to stray from the things of God, God held prophets accountable to go into those systems. As we said this morning, and part of my assignment is to make the church aware. And I've been praying this week that God would give his church back their prophetic voice for in Deuteronomy chapter eight. And verse number five through 19, the prophetic voice of the Lord in the church is a church that believes in prophets, prophecy, the word of prophecy, and the spirit of prophecy released in the church. Amen. A prophetic church. The adjective is not usually used in the Greek, so we have to define what that means. And a prophetic community is really one that believes in prophets, prophecy, the word of prophecy, And the spirit of prophecy in the midst of the church active, but not only in the church, in the community and Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 through 19. God called prophets to hold systems accountable. When they failed, God would bring them into judgment. There was a time in Israel's history where they had one kingdom. They elected a king, Saul. He was a failure. Pastor John did a marvelous expose in preaching and teaching with us yesterday with our men about what happens when leadership fails. And it seems like when there was good leadership in all these systems, good leadership was a blessing. If you have a good leader in your church or in your job or in your home group or in the department that you work in or in the system that you work in, good leadership is a blessing. Do you know what God did to Israel when they rebelled against him? He just put them under bad leadership. You're going to Assyria. You're going to learn that good leadership is a blessing. Bad leadership is a curse. You know what happened when they went astray? God took the southern kingdom, says you're going to Babylon. I'm putting you under bad leadership because good leadership is a blessing. Bad leadership is a curse. There would be kings that rose up that did And followed after their father, David, who walked in God's ways. And when they had good leadership, it went well with all. But then they will rebel against God and want to be like their neighbors and bring in idols. And then God would raise up a king that did not know his father, David. And they would come under bad leadership. And bad leadership was a curse. Finally, God sends in prophets and they hold these systems accountable, but the systems will not change. So in 722 BC, God lets the Assyrians take 10 tribes into captivity. They go into captivity and they're never heard from again. Some people even called them the lost tribes of Israel. They were scattered all over the world. And even during the diaspora, the spreading forth of Jewish people. That we still have people that are coming out of China and out of Africa and out of Russia and out of Asia and out of places in the islands in the sea. Because God said, I'll scatter you to the ends of the earth. But if you turn to me, I will gather you. God scattered them. Two tribes hung out for a little bit longer in the southern kingdom. But in the late 500 BC, around 586 BC, all of a sudden, Judah fell, went into Babylonian captivity, overrun by the Persians, Medes, and the Persians, and everyone was scattered. There's a little prophet named Ezekiel that gives us some insight on what happened. Because God said, his word is, is true. I want it to go well with all. But what happened? So that we don't have to run all over Ezekiel's book to find out what happened. Let's turn to one chapter, Ezekiel 22. Because Ezekiel 22, Ezekiel is a prophet that is called to be a prophet while they were in captivity. And one of his jobs is to remind them how we got in this mess. Sometime there is diagnostic preaching that talks about the problem. And then there's prescriptionary preaching that says, these are the solution. We want to be both diagnostic and prescriptionary tonight, but let's diagnose what happened in Ezekiel 22. The prophet begins to speak and it says in verse number 23, Ezekiel 22:23. 23, here he says, he says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, say to her. And her are the nations that have gone into captivity that you are a land not cleansed nor reigned on in the days of indignation. He says, goes on in verse 25, a conspiracy of your prophets that is translated in some translation, your princes. These were the young political leaders in your midst is like roaring lions and Tearing the prey and they devoured the people and they take they have taken treasure and taken things that they have uh, that they have made many windows widows in their midst. You see. What happens here is, first of all, the political system breaks down. The the kings begin to multiply and the princes begin to multiply. Much gold and much silver and much horses and many wives and they pervert judgment unto themselves. A little of this can be seen when he brings up this indictment against these young politicians and government leaders in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And you might want to write this one down because in Deuteronomy 17, God put prohibitions on leaders when they were going to ascend into the governmental ranks in Deuteronomy 17, 14, 17, 14. He says, and when you come into the land of which the Lord, your God has given you to possess it, we're saying, what happened to dwell in it? I say unto you, I will set a king over, over me. He says, like all the nations that are around us. He says, you're going to say that. And they did. Pastor John took us to a peace with the men yesterday. Or when they cried for that, he says, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God shall choose one from among your brothers. And you shall set as kings over you. And you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Notice what he says about these kings. When a king is elected, a governmental ruler, he shall not multiply horses for himself. That means that he can't build big armies. Build enough to protect yourself, but don't have so much of your budget going towards the military that you can't take care of the people. Nor shall he cause the people. To return to Egypt to multiply horses. In other words, don't make alliances with your enemies. And here's what he says. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return to Egypt. The reason that God wanted limited military might, not because he's not a God of war and he didn't want to protect his people. He wanted them to know, unless I'm your protector, you're not going to survive. And I still believe unless the Lord builds the house. The laborers labor in vain. Lest the Lord watch the city. Wow. Wow. The Lord watches in vain. Verse 17 says, neither shall you multiply your wives for yourself. Lest your heart be turned away. And so he says, you should be the husband of one wife. Don't multiply your women. Why a man wants more than one wife is way beyond me. <laughs> okay, I thought I'd get some Amen. <laughs> Nor shall you multiply... Your silver and your gold. In other words, don't get in political office with one idea. I'm going to make money for myself and become wealthy for myself. Verse 18, I always pray that this will be a novel ideal for America. And it will come to pass that when he sits on his throne, when you get in your office, a senator, congressman, judge, president, that you'll write for yourself a copy of the law of of the book. For from before the priest, the Levite, and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God and observe all of his words of his law and these statutes. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren because he is king and that he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom and he and his children in the midst of israel remember we're dealing with a theocracy but god says don't multiply the he says don't multiply the gold don't multiply the gals and by all means don't get lifted up don't touch the glory don't touch the gold Don't touch the gals. Don't touch the glory. Now you got to tell men, don't touch the gals or the guys. Don't touch the gold. And don't touch the glory. And he said that, but see these princes that were in Ezekiel 22 that I've turned back to. They neglected God's laws and they became ravenous like lions. Lions hunt in packs and they devour people. And at the end of the day, they made many widows. That system failed. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse number 26 then says, even her priests have violated the law of God. They have profaned, so there's a breakdown here. The holy ways of the Lord. They have not, Deuteronomy twenty-two, twenty-six says, distinguished between the holy and the unholy. They have made known, they have not, nor have they made known the difference between unclean and clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. Not only was there a breakdown in the governmental system, but then he said, "Now the priestly system. And he said, and the faith system is not doing what they're supposed to do. Why is our country in trouble? Because we have now religious systems and faith systems that don't know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. Do you know on our watch last week, the Presbyterian church voted to confirm same-sex marriages, the reformed church. The Episcopal church has been wrestling with that for a while. And the Episcopal church in England called the Anglican church. Has said that they are wondering what they're going to do with the American communion of Episcopal churches. Because they are a lot more conservative than here. And yet at the same time we are on a watch. Where it seems like not even church leaders. Are making a distinction between what is holy and what is unholy. And what is clean and is what not clean. In the African American community. Uh, When you have a pastor and he's married to a woman, many times as a favor to that pastor's wife, they will call her the first lady. That's not true in most um, in most uh, Caucasian community. It's not even true in my church. My wife tells me she's not the first lady. She's the only lady. So when our newcomers come into our church. I asked her the question, and are you the first lady? She said, I'm the only lady. She said, because if there's a first, there can be a. Second. Oh, okay, y'all already to all of that. Okay. <laughs> but sometimes in our communities, we do that. And friends now in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in places like Atlanta and other major places, they're openly gay. Listen to this Pentecostal pastors and they are males and they have a first man. Leading and pastoring congregations. We have four network churches in Atlanta, so I go into that city frequently. And they call me and they say, Lafayette, you're our apostle. Pray for our city car city is wicked and what happens for a nation to go in decline first of all the governmental system breaks down and then he said and then i looked at our religious leaders and there was a breakdown there also if you want to read more just make a note read ezekiel 44 ezekiel 44 when they go into captivity in ezekiel 44 ezekiel rises up and he talks about those priests that are in captivity and in 44 6 through about uh, 17, 6 through 17, Ezekiel 44, God rebukes a bunch of priests because he says, you have brought that which is uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in mind and my sanctuary to worship me. And he says, I reject you as a priest. You can be a priest no more. And he said, and then those of you who led P- God's people in the worship, he says, I'm going to penalize you to minister only at the door and at the gate of the house of the Lord. You will not Enter into my presence due Deut- to Ezekiel 44. What happened? The governmental system for community that God designed. Failure. What happened? The religious or the value shaping system to reinforce the standards of God begin to be silent. You see, I believe that we live in the day on our watch that the salt is starting to lose its saltiness. And when the salt loses its saltiness, we're good for nothing but to be thrown out and trodden under the foot of man. You see, even in America, church, America used to accept Christians. When I was growing up as a little boy, when men even walked by the front of the church sometime outside, they would take off their hat. If they were smoking a cigarette when they walked by our church in the inner city, they would put the cigarette out of their mouth and hold it to their side. Some people would even cross themselves when they came by a church in America. America used to accept us. But then as we begin to lose our saltiness, then they begin to just tolerate us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Christian stuff. Don't bring that in here. Now they've moved from acceptance to tolerance and now they ignore us. And ignoring us means that now they don't want to hear anything we have to say. We are the laughing stock on shows like Bill Maher on HBO. We are the laughing stock on Saturday Night Live. We are the laughing stock by comedians. And now if a if a society moves from acceptance to tolerance to to ignoring us, now they're starting to attack us. Because we lost our saltiness, what happened? We begin to lose our saltiness. A diagnosis of the case. What happened? Ezekiel 22 verse 27. If you'll stay with the text there, it says there, her princes. And these are some of the young politicians that have come along that are supposed to be overseeing the economic system. It says her princes in her midst have become like wolves tearing the prey. They shed blood, destroy people. And they get this honest gain. What they found out was that there's an economic breakdown here. And Deuteronomy 22, uh, 27 speaks of the economic failure that's now. And instead of lifting up the abundance of God and seeing the fair distribution of God's goods, you know what happens in this text? They begin to oppress God's people. There's an oppression that comes on that is so tough, especially against the weak, the young, and the elderly, I, I understand lions because I have studied them some. But hear me. Uh, I didn't understand wolves that much until a special came on. And I found out wolves hunt in packs. And they usually hunt around the uh, outskirts of any herd that's coming by. And wolves usually will attack in packs. But who they want to attack is not the strong bulls that can fight them off with their horns or with their hoofs. But the wolves will always go after those that are weak, those that are young, and those that are elderly can't fend for themselves anymore. And you know when there's economic breakdown in the community that God wants it to go well with all, it's the weak, the young, and the elderly that feel the brunt of that. Instead of being interested in the people, these became interested in themselves. You say, well, did God have a solution? Yeah, God, remember I told you called prophets to call systems into accountability so that when the religious system or the faith system got out of line, when the governmental system, the economic system got out of line, somebody might raise the question, well, where are the prophets? Verse 28, what happened? Her prophets have plastered them with un tempered martyr. And it says, See false visions, divining lies for them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God when the Lord had not spoken. Instead of the prophets calling systems to accountability, and this happens in my city, my state, and in Washington, when the prophets had a chance to speak to the king, they used it for photo ops. Instead of speaking the word of the Lord. Can you imagine John the Baptist going in and say, hey, Herod, I just want to have a photo op with you. Can you imagine Elisha going in with Jezebel and, and Ahab and saying, I just wanted to take a picture to put up on my wall? No, the prophets in the Old Testament When you look at contextualization, I was with a bunch of young preachers at a conference one time and one of the preachers said, having preached since 1973, 42 years and having pastored over 32 years and having been an apostle in the kingdom of God and ministered globally for 24 years. What is one of the first things you can say to a preacher? I said, understand your context. I said, because the first few chapters of almost every prophetic book in our Bible gives the context into which they spoke. If you don't understand your context, you can never be effective. And friends, the prophets saw a Caving in society, and instead of prophesying the word of the Lord, they started making up stuff to stay popular. So you can be a popular prophet if you're prophesying. You're going to get a diamond ring, and oh yeah, Warsu guy, Baba Baha'i, tie my shoe. <laughs> As one of my friends in our city says, Warsu guy, Baba Rondi ma- Rondai tie. You can do all of that gyrations. And prophesy false stuff. And I found out as long as you're prophesying cars, big houses, promotion, God loves you, breakthrough, everybody loves you. And I have to make, and I don't want to die and be stoned, but listen, I have to wonder, why were they killing the prophets in the Old Testament? (laughs) What were they saying? In the Bible, why did John the Baptist, New Testament prophet, a prophet that bridged two dispensation? Why did he lose his head? Why were all of the apostles martyred or only one kind of died an old life death? John, what did they do? They weren't afraid to speak the word of the Lord. To call systems into accountability. And in the Old Testament, when I talked about contextualization, every prophet had a king. And he prophesied to that king and to the systems inside the king when there were failure. So the prophets were just prophesying stuff that made them popular. If you want to be popular, tell people what they want to hear. Stroke them and tell them you're all right. Tell them everything's going to be all right. There are ministries that are encouragers, and I don't minimize that. And don't get me wrong. I mean, after I deal with God's people all weekend long on Saturday night, I really start on Sunday morning with men I mentor, and then Saturday night in a public service and two Sunday morning services. At the end of the night, don't get me wrong, I need some encouragement. I love to sit, lay down in my bed at the end of Sunday night, flip on my television, and watch Joel Olstein and say, Make me feel good. Because I've been dealing with all this stuff all week long. But how many of you know everything just ain't like that all the time? There is the ministry of encouragement. I believe he has one. But friend, there also has to come alongside of that ministry of encouragement. Prophets that will hold systems accountable. And they failed. Verse number 29, as we come. Now, what happened? It says, so the people of the land, the people of the land have used oppression. You said, and committed robbery, Ezekiel uh, 22, 29, and mistreated the poor and the needy. And they wrongly oppressed the stranger, and that's the international. You see, when there's a systems breakdown of the governmental system, the economic system, the prophetic system, and also the sacred system, the people don't have a chance All they begin to do is do what they see their leaders doing. They say, well, the leaders in the church are doing it. The leaders in the government are doing it. Our economic leaders are doing it. Even the prophets are doing it. Why should not? And the people themselves begin to plow and to oppress the needy and the poor. God gives a capsule indictment of this in Ezekiel chapter 16, if you'll turn there for a moment. Because in Ezekiel 16, uh, Ezekiel starts talking to both the folks that came out of Judah and the folks that came out of Israel that were in captivity. 16 and uh, 49, I'll begin at 46, he says, Now, to your elder sister Samaria, remember during the time of the divided kingdom, Israel in the north made Samaria their capital, Like Judah in the south made uh, Jerusalem their capital. And that's why even during the time of Christ, there's still this great hatred between Samaritans that said that God ought to be worshipped in these mountains and in Jerusalem where he ought to be worshipped here in the high place called Jerusalem. Ezekiel, when he prophesied, says, and your elder sister, Ezekiel, now 1646, he says, your elder sister Samaria, who dwells with you, with her daughters. To the north of you and your younger sister, it says, who dwells in the south is Sodom and her daughters. It says, you did not walk in their ways nor act according to her abominations. But as it were too little, you became more corrupt than they in their ways. As the Lord lives, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor your daughters have done as your daughters have done. He says, look, this is the iniquity of Sodom. And what Ezekiel is doing, he's comparing both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the Sodom. He says, this is the iniquity of Sodom. You might want to circle this in your Bible because there are some camps in our kingdom that says that God just destroyed Sodom for one thing. Read your Bible. Here's what God says about Sodom. He says, this is a sin of your sister, Sodom and her daughters. First of all, she had pride. She thought that she would never fall. She thought if she did fall, she could raise herself back up again. She was full of food. In other words, she became gluttonous and was wasting food while others were starving and going without. She had abundance of idleness. She became lazy, would not work to her full potential and to her full capacity. The sin of Sodom. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. She did not. Follow God's economic plan to have a heart and a hand that was open to the poor and to the needy. She was haughty. She looked down on everybody else. And she thought that because she was Sodom, that she somehow was a privileged class. And one of the challenges... I find as an American that goes places as a believer in Jesus, when people hear I'm an American after several days, they said you're not like the rest of those Americans because they come in here and they think they know everything. Nobody else knows nothing. They're entitled to everything. And you're a part of a different kingdom in America. And we should be clothed with humility. Friends, she was haughty. And then the final thing on the list was she committed abomination, which is what everybody talks about before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. God says all of these sins brought Sodom down. Not just her abomination. All of these things brought her down. And Friends, when their systems failures. The sacred system in community doesn't pass on values. The economic system does not come over and against debt and the forgiveness of debt, but even oppresses the poor rather than keeping our hearts open for the poor and for the needy. When the system itself sets itself against political systems, where the average arrest in most states are equal among African-Americans and white citizens. But African-Americans go to jail at a rate six times the rate of white people for the same crime. Something is wrong. And then with the privatization of prisons in our country, even after somebody does what we call paying their debt for society. Now, if you privatize prison and it becomes a business, Business has to keep clients coming in. So now I don't exist to rehabilitate behavior. I exist to have a pipeline to the prison. And in my state, I don't know about Massachusetts. We have found that one of the determining factors, that if a young African-American male doesn't graduate from high school, his chances of going to prison are 70%. If people cannot read at a third grade reading level in my state, we have found out that there's a pipeline from the schools to the prison. And so when there's a backlog of uneducated people, then there's an injustice. And though people are arrested at the same rates, the prisons don't look like that. And it's the weak, it's the oppressed, it's the internationals. Because now our prisons are being filled up with Spanish speaking people. And friends, he says, we oppress the poor. I don't want to leave you on a bad note. Everybody say, thank the Lord. I'm waiting for some good news. (laughs) Turn back to Ezekiel 22. Look at your neighbor and say, okay, praise God. (laughs) Okay, go back to Ezekiel 22 because the prophets, even though the prophets listened to me very closely, it seemed like they prophesied doom and gloom. They always spoke with a prophetic voice and a prophetic insight. And because they operated through a matrix of hope, there always was a hope. And whenever God sees all these systems break down, listen, when he sees, listen, political systems broke down, educational systems broke down. Now he sees economic system broke down. He sees that the profits have broke down. He sees that even the people have bought in. God says there needs to be someone to solve community problems. Somebody shout amen. amen. And it says, oh, so God went on a search. And in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, 30, he says, so I've sought for a man. Lean on your neighbor, says, I'm that person. I'm that person. Lean on your neighbor on the other side, say, I'm that person. I'm that person. Push the person in front of you, say, I'm that, I'm that person. Look back at that person, say, don't you ever touch me again. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. When the earth has a problem, God sends a man or a woman... In to solve that problem. Would somebody yell, I'm a problem solver. solver. When the earth is in trouble, God looks for somebody to be a problem solver. Leaders need to be problem solvers. And it says here in the text, so I sought for a man among them to make up the wall and to stand in the gap for me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. That's God's will. He wants it to go well with all. But he says here, but I found none. What a sad testimony to what he found. You see, the whole nation had broken down. And yet, God is still looking for someone to stand in the gap. What does this look like as we close? Listen, I really believe that God still calls us to prayer. But our prayers have to be righter if we're going to be a prophetic voice to our region. And as I close tonight, I want you to understand that's why 1st Timothy 2.1 is so important. 1st Timothy 2.1 says, therefore I exert that first of all supplications, prayers and intercession be given for all men and for all Kings and for all that are in authority. Could Paul understand God's Judaism or his Hebraic mind? Could it be that Paul understood that there are leaders in all of these systems and he just doesn't say pray for kings? He doesn't just say pray for priests, but he says that intercessions, supplications, and prayers shall be given first Timothy 2 1 for all men. He said for kings, yes, governmental leaders, for all that are in authority, for religious leaders and economic leaders and prophets. He says, I want you to pray for them with supplication. That's long-term prayers that endure until you get the result. I want you to give prayers and that is addressing God on their behalf and conditions on their behalf. I want you to give yourself the intercession. Intercession is when you and I stop praying for ourselves only and learn how to pray for somebody else. It's not about bless me, build me, protect me, uh, increase me, make me abundant. It's not just about bring me into a new level and a new dimension. Right. I was at the Trinity Broadcast Network in Atlanta, Georgia, and was doing an interview with me. And I talked to one of the staff workers that was there that goes to ghost the New Covenant Christian Church. When I came on, and I got finished, he said, thank you. And I said, thank you for what? Because I talked about some of these truths. He said, because everybody that comes on this station, everybody said, when they say they ask them the question, what is God saying? And when they asked me, what is God saying? I said, repent. It got quiet in the television station. Which means stop what you're doing. Change your mind. Turn around. Live in a different way. Repent. That's what God's saying. You can't have revival without godly contrition. You cannot have revival without godly sorrow. That's broken over our sin. Broken over the condition of the church. Broken over the economic system. Broken over the condition of the city. Revival does not come because I just say I want revival. There must be brokenness coupled together with tears. Repent. Young man asked me, he said... I said, why was it refreshing? He said, because everybody that comes on here talking about, here's what God's saying. We're going to a new dimension. He said, if I hear the word dimension, new level again, he said, I'm going to throw up. Because God looks for a man. And see, our message comes out of our prayer. Our message comes out of our prayer. Our prayers, our supplication, our intercession, our giving of thanks for all men, for kings and all in authority. Why? He said that you might lead a quiet and a peaceful life. And I already told you, we've now moved from where America accepted us and tolerated us. And now they have ignored us and they're starting to attack us. But if we want to get back to leading that quiet and peaceful life, he says, with all godliness and reverence, if we want to get our standard back, we will get our former glory back and our future glory, which is coming. He says, "For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. And I close with this and Pastor Ray, you can come because God desires that none, that all men will be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you know that when the systems are working right as God designs? And I know that America is not a theocracy, it's not the kingdom of God. But listen to me, we have been placed as salt in America. We're supposed to influence America. We may not get it totally right, but at least we can lean it to the right way. If 80% of the people in America claim to be Christians, I think we ought to be seeing something different out here. Now, I'm not the smartest pencil in the box, but if 80% of people in America claim that they're Christians, I believe that the community deserves better than what we're seeing. And he says, a man, when we dwell in godliness and reverence and godly fear. He said it translates into evangelism. He said, because he desires all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And do you know when we're all messed up in God's kingdom, when our priests are messed up, when our economic systems are messed up, when our government systems are messed up, people start asking questions question, where is your God and what difference is he making in you and in us? But when we live with reverence and with godly fear. Folks will come around and they will get curious. They'll start asking us questions. You know, in the book of Acts, one of the ways that they did evangelism was that they just lived the life of Jesus in the community. And people got curious and started asking them questions about why you're living this way. I look at my model for for leadership is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't go out with big marketing schemes. You know, he never had a billboard. He didn't, care, he didn't carry around a worshiping team with him. Because there's this erroneous idea that, 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 you know, you need a worship team to create your atmosphere. Had a guy that left our worship department and he said, you don't seem to respect your musicians. And I said, I was a musician. I am a worshiper. And I said, I give respect to all men. He says, you don't seem to understand. I create the atmosphere for you to preach in. I said, you don't understand. I said, I got sunshine on a cloudy day. I said when it's cold outside, I got the month of May. I guess you say, what can make you feel this way? My God, I carry the atmosphere. I don't need nobody to create the atmosphere. I carry the atmosphere. My model for leadership is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can step out in the storm and say, peace be still. He's the only one that can walk into a house where a girl has just died and said, arise. And she gets up and fixes him lunch. We can get our former glory back. But if we're as messed up as everybody else, it won't translate into events. Listen, see, I want to pray. I want to pray tonight for the cities, but I need you to do something. I know that people that are here are not just from Seacock. I know there are people here from all kinds of cities. So if you're here from a city outside of Seacock, just raise your hand. Look at this, man. Y'all got a bunch of folk in here (laughs) that are outside. Put your hands down. From the front to the back, start yelling out some names of the city. I'm going to pray one corporate prayer, but I want your city. Let me ask you about the city that you just yelled out. Does your city need God? Yes. We want to cry out for your city because God is looking for somebody. God is looking for somebody. Let's pray as we close. Father, tonight we come as a church and stand in the gap for your city. Go ahead and call it out before God. And God, we stand in the gap for our city. Father, we cry out for the city of our birth. We cry out for the city of our residents. We cry out for the city of our children. We cry out for the city of our grandchildren. We cry out for its political and its governmental system, that it would be just ruling in the fear of the Lord. We cry out for its economic system, that there will be a breaking of debt, and yet there will be a freedom and a liberty of elimination of debt and debt forgiveness. We cry out that there will be ministries to the poor. Father, we cry out. For the religious systems and the sacred systems in our city. Oh, let the church be the church. Let it regain its former glory. Let it regain its godliness. Let it regain its reverence. Let it regain your grace and your anointing on it. Oh, God, we cry out for the city. God, we want to see great joy in the city. We know that only happens when we stand in the gap and make up the hedge. And God, we pray for all of our mayors, council people, legislators, senators, judges, whether local, all the way up to the federal level in the Supreme Court. We pray for all of the decision makers, the economic shareholders, those that have economic strategies. Oh God, we cry out for our city. We cry out that Father, that as we live godly and in reverence of you, that the standard will be raised so high that perversion and everything that exalts itself against your knowledge will begin to diminish. And people that are even struggling with things like sexual identification confusion will come to us and say, I need some help today in Jesus' name. Father, let us start at work. Let us start on the campuses. Let us start in the high schools. Let us start in the junior highs. Let us start in the schools, oh God. God, we cry out so that we can live a quiet and a peaceful life because you desire that all would come to the knowledge of the truth and that none would perish. And God, would you bring and let righteousness roll down? And Father, let justice roll down like a mighty stream. Oh, God, we cry out for all of those that are in authority as well as for our city, because our desire, God, is see great joy in our city. In Jesus name. Father, this will be the city of our sons and our daughters. This will be the city of our grandsons and our granddaughters. God, according to your word, be it unto us in Jesus' name. Father, make a change in us so that we can make a change in our city, our nation, and our nations. Now, Father, we thank you today that as we cry out on your behalf as a voice for our city that you didn't put us there just to maintain a building and a ministry. You put us there to make a difference. You just didn't put us on that job to make money. You put us there to make a difference. You didn't just put us on the college campus to learn a career and to learn how to make money. You put us there to make a difference. Father, let us make a difference so that we can build community. And Father, we declare and we decree That healthy systems of government, healthy systems of economics, healthy systems of the sacred system. Father, will rise up in the midst of us. And that you'll change our city, change our state, change our region. In Jesus' name. To your name be the glory. I say unto you tonight that there is nothing too hard for our God. Nothing too difficult with him. Nothing impossible for him. He is an amazing God. Strong and mighty is he. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. And God save. And then use your kingdom as an instrument of salvation. We believe you for it. And we thank you for it. And where we see systems failure. Let us not be hopeless and helpless. Let us know you're looking for us. To stand in the gap. And to make up the hedge. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer for your city, say amen. Amen. Now give the Lord a big praise.